Well, I'm super excited to introduce this morning you to Jeff and Mary Ann Anderson. I've known Jeff and Mary Ann since the mid-80s. I met them uh, when I was on a short two-week uh, summer missions trip to the Philippines. Jeff and Mary Ann had arrived shortly before that. I stayed two weeks, they stayed 35 years. <laughs> and now they have a global ministry uh, reaching all kinds of people um, all over this world. And, you know, Jeff and Marianne are the kind of people that, you name it, they've probably seen it. From working with street kids uh, across the spectrum of uh, the world's people that they've worked with. But the thing that really stands out to me about Jeff and Marianne is they love Jesus. And they obey him because they love him. And that has made them one of my heroes. So welcome Jeff and Marianne, please. Greg and Vitey, you guys are so kind, and you all have been very hospitable. We arrived on Friday afternoon from Minneapolis, and it's just been a delight. We just look forward to meet new people and mingle with God's people and, you know, have fellowship and talk about the Lord, and you all have been wonderful. I want you to know that. And we're just delighted, and it's a privilege. We view this as a divine assignment. This is not random. We believe in God's sovereignty. We believe in God's providence. We believe that the Lord ordains the steps, the stops, and the delays of a good man and woman. So here we are. And we view this as, like I said, a divine assignment. Two weeks ago, uh, I preached at a little church in Quezon City, Metro Manila. This little church is in a slum, and it was a delight to preach there and to be with longtime battle buddies. Uh, we helped plant that church, and are any, any of you familiar with Feed My Starving Children, the food from Minneapolis? We have fed thousands and thousands and thousands of Filipino children with that food, and I want you to know it really, really works. And we are continuing that work, uh, but this church was planted by feeding the hungry feeding skinny, little, snotty-nosed, if I can put it that way, I mean, I'm bottom line, right? Little street kids, hungry, but feeding them in the name of Jesus Christ. And in partnership with lovely Filipino brethren, men and women, who are sold out to Jesus Christ and to serve him and proclaim the good news. But of course, when you're working with the hungry, the sick, the naked, the lonely, the imprisoned, you meet them where they're at. And that's what we were doing back years ago. And here's my point. Having preached there that Sunday, and then seeing these little kids back then, today, leaders in the church. So, Pastor, I want you to know God is working among the young people. Not just in the United States, but across the globe. The future belongs to them. And it is our assignment, and it is our passion to pass on, to mentor, to coach, to disciple, and to pass on the lessons that we have learned as we've walked with the Lord all these years. And God has been so faithful. He has never, ever shortchanged us. We have been, Marianne and I, my partner in life and ministry, we've been in full-time ministry for 45 years. And we trust the Lord for every nickel. And He has never, ever let us down. So here's what I'm saying. 
if the, if the Lord has called you into ministry, whatever that means, whether that is here locally, across the United States, or somewhere internationally, take courage. I understand fear. And I understand uh, the, the struggle it is to obey the Lord sometimes. I get it. But I, my message this morning to you is, do not fear. Take courage. The Lord is good for his word. He has never, ever, ever let us down. And it is an absolute privilege. It is an absolute wonderment of God's grace that I am a missionary. I never, ever, ever thunk it. Never, ever. My training is in law enforcement. I was going get to get into law enforcement. But the Lord called me to become a chaplain back in 1977 among street people in Minneapolis. So from in South Minneapolis, as a matter of fact, where all the turmoil has been in the last few years. That was our old turf, and that's where I met Marianne. We were serving together at Midwest Challenge, which is today Teen Challenge. Working with runaways, drug addicts, trafficked kids, working in the streets and the parks and whatnot. But then the Lord called us to do the same in Manila, a place we had never been before. Sight unseen. And in December 1985, well, after facing, phasing out of Midwest Challenge and raising support, we had to trust the Lord. We had to raise our own support. We, we heard of our mission, Action International, which is based in Seattle. And in 1985, we launched out into the really, really deep water of international missions. We had to learn, link, we had to learn Tagalog. We had to go to language school. We had no language. So we had to go into the deep provincial area and study Tagalog. We, we went into the deep end. And then we launched, after years of study of, of studying Tagalog, we started street ministry, working in a red light district in Ermita along Manila Bay. Huge red light district, like Amsterdam or Bangkok today. No turning back. And we signed up for four years. And as Greg said, we were there for over 30. And like I said, we were just there, still working with our colleagues. We still have projects there, and I can get into that later. That's a little bit about our pilgrimage. But I want to talk this morning about praying for the harvest. Let's be world Christians. Not worldly, but let's be globally-minded followers of Jesus. Matthew 9, 36 to 38, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, says this, seeing the people, he, meaning Jesus, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, this motley crew of guys, he turned to his disciples, he's turning to us this morning, and he is saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, beg, get on your face before God and beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. If Jesus has, has, if Jesus has one concern for our world today, it's the same concern he had when he was on earth, when he walked this earth that the harvest must be reaped. 
Jesus realized that his disciples back then had not yet caught the harvest vision. They were often more concerned about themselves than about reaching the unreached. Therefore, they failed, they failed to see from Christ's perspective. They failed to see through the eyes of Jesus the people the way he saw them. Jesus saw people as they were, and he loved them. His love was a reaching love that demonstrated his entire redemptive mission to earth, why he came to dwell among us, and that was to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was moved by the needs of people. He felt compassion for them. And compassion is an active verb. It is not a sense of pity. It is a, it is a churning of the gut to meet the needs of those who are hurting. Jesus reached out to them. Let's take a look at our Jesus and how he desires to move in and through us in reaching out to others. For example, when Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law who was ill and in bed, he went to her. He touched her hand and he healed her. When the leper fell at Jesus' feet, he reached out with his hand and he touched this untouchable person. And the leper was cleansed. You know, Jesus could have spoke to the leper and said, be clean. He could have, right? But what did he do? He touched the man. When two blind men came asking for mercy, Jesus touched their eyes and they could see. Jesus touched the ears and the tongue of the deaf and mute man, and he began to hear and to speak. This is our Jesus. Jesus touched the coffin of the widow's dead son and brought the boy back to life. Jesus touched the ear of the high priest's servant, and he healed it after Peter cut off the ear with a sword. In other instances, we know that all Jesus needed to do was to speak, and healing and life would have been granted. But again, he demonstrated his love by reaching out and touching people. When he took the little children in his arms, he demonstrated the love of God, the love which the Holy Spirit wants to channel through our lives to others. You know, it's an amazing thing. It's a God thing. To think that the love of God has been shed abroad or put into our hearts and that in our puny little hearts we can help love the world. The peoples of the world, as we sang. It's amazing. I don't get over it. I can't get over it. I don't want to. I want more. I hope you do too. I hope this World Evangelism Sunday isn't just a Sunday on the church calendar. 
I hope you eat, breathe, drink, and sleep this stuff. Jesus did not use his power for personal gain. It wasn't about him. When the Samaritans refused Jesus the hospitality of the village, G James and John were insulted and they got really irked. They were insulted and they wanted to call down fire from heaven in retaliation. But Jesus viewed the Samaritans as loved by God, these half-breeds. despised by the Jews. He viewed them as sinful ones for whom he was going to die. He saw them as the harvest he had come to reap. What does all this mean to you and me today? And by the way, I'm preaching to myself too. This isn't an academic exercise. This is life. Jesus wants us to have a vision for the world. Often our occupation, for example, will determine how we see others. Dennis, are teeth conscious, so they may focus on someone's teeth when they meet them. A barber or a beautician are hair conscious. So when they look at people, they may focus on that person's hair. But Christ followers, and you notice I'm not using the word Christian, because that has become so watered down these days. Christian actually means Christ one. It's not a world religion among the major world religions. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. Christ followers should be people conscious. We are need conscious. We are harvest conscious because Jesus was. When a young man approached Jesus, Jesus loved him and considered the huge potential of this young, man, this young man's life if he would only follow Jesus. Luke chap, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Observing two fishermen, rough and tumble fishermen, Jesus recognized that they could become what? Fishers of men. A sinful woman was viewed through Jesus' eyes as the pure child of God she could become when her sins were forgiven. Jesus' disciples saw harvest in the future, but they did not see people as harvest when they saw them on the spot. Jesus disagreed. He said the harvest is now. Now is the time for harvest. This is a great time to be alive.
Harvest is always here with us if we have the eyes to see. And I am not talking about physical eyes. I am talking about the eyes of Christ. We pray this. We want to be able to see and to feel as Jesus. We want to be walking as Jesus did when he walked among the people. Jesus pointed to the Samaritans walking toward them and said, I say to you, in, in John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritans, Jesus said, I say to you, lift, who's he talking to? The disciples. He says, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Get your eyes off of yourself. And look on the fields. For they're white for harvest. John 4.35. The Samaritans were just one area of the harvest field. Jesus was saying, see the people as harvest. Become harvest conscious. Focus your interest on the spiritual harvest potential of all the earth's peoples. Three things that Jesus, the Spirit of God, might be saying to us this morning. Number one, catch the vision of people as harvest. As we go through life each day here in Eau Claire, wherever we happen to find ourselves, as we go through each day, let's go with our eyes wide open. Let's not walk around half asleep. See people. See their needs. See them as ripe for the harvest. We do not know what the Spirit of God is doing in somebody's life. God is active. He is not distant. He is not asleep. The Samaritans whom Jesus pointed out to the disciples were unknown to them. The disciples did not know their names or much about them. However, Jesus said, look, these people are part of the harvest. By the way, if I can add one point. In John 4.4, 4, when Jesus was moving into Samaria, he took the long way around, by the way. In the old King James Version, John 4.4 4 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus was on a mission. He must needs go through Samaria, who were despised people. It's kind of like today in taking the bypass around a city. We don't want to go through the hood, because it's too dangerous. We might get carjacked. There's, there's them kind of people over there. But Jesus must needs go through the city. Are you following me? Are we tracking with each other?
As we see people who need Jesus, let's see them as they can be in Christ and see what they could mean to the cause of Christ. Let's see them as people Christ loved so that he, because, be, that he loved so much that he was willing to die for them. Then we need to love and pray for them. Pray for the harvest. You must have intercessors in this church. I know you do. People who know how to pray. As the Spirit moves them. Pray for the harvest. Let's pray for people we see, we meet, or have some sort of contact with. Pray for those who serve us in business or in everyday life. Pray for children who are playing in the playground for students, for teachers, drivers on the road, those waiting in checkout lines with us. The harvest field is before us, so we should be reminded that the harvest field is within our sight. A product we purchase that was made overseas, for example, much of our clothing is made in other countries, right? A product we purchased that was made, for example, in Vietnam or the Philippines could remind us to pray for the people of that country. A news report informing us of an earthquake in Turkey or Syria. Could cause us to get on our face before God and plead for these dear people. Let's be harvest conscious. Be a world Christian. Have a world vision. Be an intercessor for the world. Let your love be as extensive as the love of Christ. Jesus loves the world. Well, we love the world for God. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God, to pour it into our hearts as we pray for people. And let's not just love the world theoretically. Let's really love the world practically. Don't just repeat mindlessly, God bless the whole world, or God bless the missionaries. But let's take prayer responsibly. We're talking to God. Even if a two-word prayer prayed in the power of the Spirit, God bless Chad. God bless the Philippines, India, Pakistan. Eau Claire, South Minneapolis, 38th and Chicago. Come on. These are not just news items in the paper or on TV. It's not just a breaking news ticker. God may be speaking to us. 
Pray that others will catch a vision for the harvest. After Jesus walked through all the towns and the villages, he saw the crowds. Jesus was a man of the people. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they didn't have a spiritual shepherd, as in Ezekiel chapter 34. He did not tell his disciples to look at the harvest and then get to work shepherding them. He said to the disciples, pray. Pray. And in a few short months later came Pentecost. And reaping the harvest would be full-time work for these apostles, these early apostles. But before reaping would come the preparation in prayer. I'm telling you, I'd be on a fool's errand. I'd be a fool of fools. I'd be on a fool's errand if I didn't believe and if others didn't believe in the power of prayer. God answers prayer. We need prayer. We need you. We are not, as a missionary, we are not independent operators. We are not running around doing our own thing. We are, we are called out from the assembly. We are set apart by the Spirit of God to take the good news to the nations. We are sent out, commissioned by the body of Christ, by people's prayer and their giving. And we are in this together. This is not about me. This is about us. For God's glory. Jesus knew that his disciples knew that as his disciples prayed, their vision for the harvest would ignite their souls and they would be moved with compassion to do something. Prayer is the ignition switch. It's the fire. It's the burning in a guy's gut and soul. It's a rare person who has a real vision for the harvest and a burden for prayer who does not become involved in additional ways as God opens doors of opportunity to minister to people. Don't be surprised if you are giving yourselves to intercessory prayer for some need in the world, some people group, some situation, and the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you get up and go meet that need. That is why I opened my message this morning with, if the Lord is stirring up a holy discontentment in you, and you want to get out of the boat and walk on the water, don't be afraid. Take courage. Courage is the ability to overcome what? Fear. To do the right thing. Real vision, which leads to real intercession, deepens the love and concern for a person or a people or a place, and that gets us 
and causes us to help somehow for that, in that situation by giving, by ongoing prayer, and maybe by actually getting up and going. The flip side is, the danger is, it might be that we're too busy, we're too preoccupied with programs, procedures and policies and practices, which become binding and restricting. Which hold us back from doing what the Lord would have us do. The only prayer request, and I conclude with this, the only prayer request Jesus gave his church was to pray for the harvest. We can praise God when 99 sheep are in the fold. But as long as there is one sheep that remains outside the fold, we cannot rest until that one is found and is safely inside. We can minister where we are, but we must not forget those who are yet unreached. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, so that as for that is what I came for, Jesus said in Mark 1:38. Therefore Jesus went throughout Galilee and the surrounding and the surrounding villages, the surrounding areas from village to village, always reaching out. He said in John 10:16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. When we see the world, our deep, divided, darkening, dying world, when we see our world, through the eyes of Jesus. Our prayer for the world's people will be one of the major priorities we have. Men and women of God, pray. Pray. Ask the Spirit to help us, to help you pray. And again, if the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder, if he is speaking to you about something today, obey, gladly obey. And I'll tell you, it is an adventure. And you can't pay us enough. We are not hirelings. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of the living God. And there is no better life. And Marianne and I are privileged to serve as we serve. And I want to thank you for having us uh, this Sunday to be a part of as the Lord is stirring you up, provoking you for greater love and good deeds. That is our prayer. That's been our prayer as we've been mingling with you and as we've been preparing to come here. 
that the Spirit of God would stir you up, stir us up, all of us together, for greater love and good deeds. Thank you very much.